going on, guys? Welcome back to the show. Today, we are talking about five things I've changed my mind about, and I didn't go back in time all the way to like my first day of coaching because the list would be things like calories don't exist and insulin makes you fat and all that stuff, and that's kind of boring because hopefully we're at a point where we all know that you know those things are, whatever I said, not true. Um, I chose things that are a little bit more recent in the last you know five or so years that are still kind of relevant to what I talk about now. Um, and things that, you know, weren't so super obvious, like calories don't count or insulin makes you fat, which ironically for some people still isn't obvious. Um, yeah, let's just, I'm not sure if those people can fully be helped, but I, I still hammer that point on Instagram enough that if you're out there, hopefully it helps. So uh, I made a post about this on Instagram. We're going to go over the three that I posted about on Instagram. I'll expand a little bit more. And then I added two more. So the first one is that you need to eat one gram of uh, per pound of body weight of protein in order to build muscle or in, in order to, or, you know, you could phrase that in a lot of ways. If you said, hey, I, you do you need to eat one gram per pound of body weight of protein? The way that is phrased, the answer is no, you don't. There, there's no context where you need to eat that much because need for what? Like need because there's a big benefit? I don't think there is. Need because you're a pro bodybuilder or athlete who needs to eke out every even theoretical gram of muscle gain and strength? Maybe, sure. I think if that if your whole life is riding on this and you want to bank on a theoretical, you know, tiny marginal benefit, then yeah, go above what I would say where most people should focus is 1.6 grams per kilogram or about, it's like uh, 0.77 grams per pound. Um, and if you listen to the to a, a good segment by Stronger by Science, if you type in Stronger by Science on YouTube, you type in protein requirements. Um, Greg and Eric have a nice segment on kind of just relooking at some of the protein literature, and we perhaps overemphasize the importance of things like going up to a gram per pound of body weight. So, long story short, I don't think you need this much. And and the thing is, you have to have an end to that sentence. So, if you're somebody who wants to be strong, be fit be muscular, look like you lift. I think you can kind of uh, chill with 1.6 grams per kg or 0.77 grams per pound. You could round that up to like 0.8 grams per pound um, and you'll do just fine. And if you wanna go above that, go nuts. Um, I don't think there's a downside to more, but I think we really have to chill with like telling people that they have to eat a gram per pound of protein. I mean, that is a ton of protein and we don't have research that says you have to do that. We have good research that says after about 1.6 grams per kg, 0.77 grams per pound, uh, we see a big drop off, a steep diminishing returns, right? Very little, if any, benefit beyond that. Some may say, hey, Jordan, but if I'm, but if I'm, if I'm in a deficit, do I need more protein? I, I still think if you're above 1.6 grams per kg, I'm not worried about it. I think you're good to go. Um, if your whole life is riding on this, if you live your life, if your life demands you eke out every gram of gains, right? Sure. I, I, if I was a pro bodybuilder, pro athlete, I would say, I hear you, Jordan, but you know, in case you're even the slightest bit wrong, I'm going to go over. I'm down with that. Most people listening to this podcast aren't in that scenario. Now, if you like eating more, right? If you like it, if you like I personally eat more, I, I eat over a gram per pound. Uh, I'm 190 pounds. I probably eat anywhere from two to 250 grams per day because that is my natural eating pattern. I like eating high-protein foods. I don't mind eating large uh, portions of protein at a sitting. I enjoy it. So if you enjoy it, that's your natural eating pattern, great. Um, if you feel more satiated, which kind of goes into the enjoyment factor uh, because it helps you feel good and satiated, great, do that. Eat more protein. 
Um, but if you're someone who doesn't love that much protein and you're consistent and you enjoy your life more at around 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8 grams per pound, I see no problem with that at all. I've talked about this before on the podcast. I'm not going to belabor this point. You know, uh, protein is just like this hysterical thing that I think is both important but completely overblown and we talk way too much about protein. Guys, once you're eating north of 1.6 grams per kg, all of the benefit that you think you're getting is is mostly theoretical, if not a big diminishing return. It, it might exist in a binary sense, but it's not very, I don't think it would um, um, manifest in a tangible difference whether you eat 1.6 grams per kg or 2.2 grams per kg. I don't think it's, oh, I'm in a deficit now. I need to, like, unless you're in like a 50% calorie deficit, I don't think you're really at risk of, again, a tangible amount of muscle loss that, you would be saved by eating more protein. Um, but there's no downside. So with all my clients, we phrase our protein targets as an at least. And so at least this much. Um, more is cool, but, but you know, uh, more should be more out of personal preference than like some fear of not making gains. Cool. Number two, things I've changed my mind about. Uh, uh, obsessing over technique for every division of every muscle. Um Listen, information is information. And so like knowing what exercises work, what muscle, I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that you shouldn't know what exercises work what muscles, right? If you're doing a lunge, you should have an idea that you're gonna get a mix of glutes, uh, glutes, quads, and adductors, right? You should maybe even have a decent, and not, not you as like an average trainee, God, that sounds mean, but I just mean like an average person trying to be fit doesn't have to have a, a deep understanding of anatomy and biomechanics. Having a loose understanding of this works that, absolutely, I think that that can be helpful. But I don't know, man. A couple of years ago, I, I did the whole N1 thing. I love N1. I love Coach Cass. I love what they do. I'm going to another practical. And so it's, I'm trying my best not to be hypocritical because for what I do, I want to have a very deep understanding. But for the average person training, looking to get jacked and strong and muscular and be fit and healthy, I'm not so sure you need to know the upper iliac glute max. You know, I don't think you need to know um, that this is gonna work the, this division of the lats. Now, I'll be real. If, it, if, if learning more about this, I've seen non-coaches go to N1 and learn more. I've seen just people who like training go and, and learn more about biomechanics and anatomy. If doing that makes the whole experience more fun for you, I fucking love that. Like, I get that. I get that. I'm doing it right. I know I'm a coach, so it's a little bit conflated. It's not exactly the same. But, like, the idea that you go all in with something because doing that makes it more fun, I, I get that 100%. But I see for every one person who does that and it actually becomes more fun, I see 10 people who go into this analysis paralysis of, like, oh, my elbow is at 47 degrees, not 45 degrees, you know? Did I, did, was this a waste of time? Like, fuck no. Or like my, my, my knee bend is 17 degrees of knee flexion instead of 22. Like, am I working too much hamstring? It's like, what are we talking about? Like, so just identify if this pursuit of learning more about uh, biomechanics, uh, the physics of exercise, anatomy, just be real with yourself. Is this making it more fun or more stressful? Um, am I getting a ton of like, enjoyment and intellectual stimulation or am I getting analysis or paralysis by analysis? So just be real with yourself. I, listen, I'm not, yeah, I, it's, it's tricky because I find this stuff very interesting and fascinating and I do it as my job and it's my job to know those things and it's my job to develop programs that make sense based on these principles and many more. 
But I see that a lot of people, I, listen, there's hundreds of people in my group and I see a lot of people that are like, maybe, for, I don't wanna jump to conclusions here. Just acknowledge, is this making it more or less fun? Is this emphasis on ultra specific technique based on ultra specific, this arm path works, these fibers, is all of that making it less fun or and more stressful or more fun and intellectually stimulating? So. The thing I've changed my mind about is that all of my clients and all of the people in my group need to be on the same page about all of that. They don't. Um, you know, I might, and, and for some people, they want more. Some people might want more uh, like specific, specificity in terms of, hey, like I want your elbow at 49 degrees instead of 45 degrees, right? Some people want more of that. Some people need less than that. And so I try and find a middle ground in my group where we talk about technique, Quite often my form videos, it's funny, not to tangent here, but my form videos are are have like a similar template where I just show you how to do it, then I tell you the simple stuff, and then we have like another 10 minutes of this form video where I go into some nerdy shit. And I just think it's important for you to acknowledge you don't need to know any of this to get in good shape. You don't need to know how to work the iliac lats or the you know uh, the costal pecs or that the the delts actually have seven divisions. Like you don't you don't need to know any of that. You don't need to know any of that to get strong and fit and healthy. If learning some of that helps make it all fun, that's cool. But keep it in context. This is not stopping anybody from getting strong or fit or healthy. Um, there's good programs out there where professionals have taken care of this for you, and you can get your form checked and you can work on it within the context of knowing this isn't a big deal. Um, when I say it's not a big deal, I mean, if you get your technique mostly right and it's safe and your te tempo is mostly right and it's safe and you're working hard, close to failure, and you're doing that over time, eating calories, enough protein, sleeping, man, the difference between that person and the person who's like bringing a protractor to the gym is just not much. Um, so just just check in with yourself if it's being more fun. I, I'm... I don't want to swing to the other side of the pendulum and just fucking lift, bro. Like, of course not. Of course you should. Of course, me, especially as a coach, I need to have a good understanding of, of what we're working with, what exercises, what sort of variations work, what, you know, divisions of what muscles. Like, I want to know all that stuff. But as a person, non-professional, like, just know that you don't have to know that stuff. And if stressing over it is making this all less fun, take a step back. It's not going to stop you from hitting your goals. If you start to, um, you know, nitpick the minutia a little less. I think that a lot of people could could enjoy things a bit more that way. Cool. Number three, um, maintenance calories means you're gonna feel good no matter what. And, and this is tricky. It's not like I've done a 180 on this, but I think I've gained a, a greater understanding of this with a, with a lot of experience with a lot of clients over the years. What do I mean by this? Maintenance calories means you're gonna feel good no matter what. That's not true. So you have two at least two variables here. You have whether or not you are at energy balance, which means you're eating an amount uh, that you are burning. And the second thing is an independent variable is body fat level. So you could be at maintenance calories. Let, let's use me just as an example to not because it's about me at all, but because it just like gives us a, a hypothetical person that we can talk about. I'm 190 right now and I eat 3,500 calories, let's say, and that's my maintenance. I could also be, and I have also been, 220 pounds, 30 pounds up, and I ate 4,500 calories, 43 to 4,500 calories, let's say. Like 4,000 to 45, somewhere in there. And that was my maintenance, 220 pounds, 4,500 calories, let's say. 
I've also been 175. In the last five years, I've been all of these weights. I've been 175, now he's eating like 2,700 calories. And so each of those three people, 175 pounds, 2,700 calories, 190 pounds, 3,500 calories, 100, or 220 pounds, 4,500 calories. All three of those people were at calorie maintenance, right? They were, we were at neutral energy balance, whatever fucking terminology you wanna use. I was eating enough to fuel my current activity level at that current body weight. But I felt like shit at 175. I felt not as good at 220. I feel much better at 190. And so what I'm trying to say is, just because you're at energy balance doesn't mean biofeedback will be perfect. And how this applies to, I think, a lot of people listening is not everybody will be able to maintain the same level of leanness with the same level of comfort. And 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 it's like, it's like your friend, I'm gonna just, whatever, we're gonna use some of these examples, but I don't wanna make it seem like everyone's got this scenario, but it's like your friend is 130 pounds and she's at maintenance and she feels great and you're 160 and you lose 30 pounds and you get to 130, you find your new maintenance and you start eating that many calories and you don't feel great, right? Maybe you're hungry, maybe you're fatigued, you're food focused, uh, your, your workouts aren't great, but you're at energy balance. Like your body weight is not changing, which means you are at energy balance. But you, based on genetic factors, many genetic and lifestyle, totally, um, I don't wanna make it seem like it's a super, this is a super simple thing we're talking about. There are a lot of moving parts. Um, but you might not feel as good at that body fat level. And some like the truth is there are people out there who can be sub 10% body fat and feel fine. Not tired, not fatigued, not low libido. And then there's you. And frankly, I know that, I, listen, I love my body. I'm happy with my body. I'm, I don't really know how many body fat percentages I am. I really don't give a shit, but we'll get, put a number on it. I'm not sub 10%. I'm probably like in the 13 to 16% if I had to guess. I know if I go to 10%, I don't care if I go to 10%, 9%, 8%, if I get really lean, even if I'm at calorie maintenance, I don't feel good. And so this idea that that you're just gonna cut a bunch of weight and then you'll find your new maintenance and you'll ride off in the sunset and feel amazing, it isn't always the case. Um, people are gonna feel differently at the same body fat percentage. So I just wanna make that clear, like, like yes, you can lose weight and you can find your new maintenance and you can maintain it, that's all possible. But I want people to keep an open mind. If you're like, oh, every time I get this lean, I don't feel good. Uh, yeah, that that's a thing. Like where you're like, well, when I get to this level of leanness, regardless of whether or not I eat enough, I don't feel great. That is definitely a thing. Um, and so how that's helped me as a coach is just helping people be open-minded about how they feel because there's a version of you that's 10 pounds lighter and 10 pounds heavier and then there's you. All three of them could be at calorie maintenance and all three of them could feel different, right? Body fat, body fatness, body fat percentage, level of body fat, body composition will affect how you feel independently. And not everyone's gonna be able to maintain single digit level of body fat while feeling good. Most people will not. Um, and so we just wanna take that into account when we're talking about what your happiest life is, we have to take this variable into account. You know, if, if when I was uh, 175 and I was eating 2,700 calories, my body weight was not changing. I stayed there for two months at the end of a cut. I just tried to maintain as much body fat off as I could. I, I was maintaining every week. I, my average was, you know, within a relative standard deviation that I called maintenance. Um, but I didn't feel very good, period. 
And it wasn't enough that I was at calorie maintenance. Though the amount of calories I had to eat to maintain that level of body fat wasn't sufficient for me. I still felt hungry. I still felt tired. My libido was low. Um, so that's something I've absolutely changed my mind about, at least in terms of helping clients with their expectations of like, oh, I'll just lose weight, I'll be lean, I'll go to maintenance, and because I'm at maintenance, I'll feel great. That's not necessarily the case for everybody at all body fat levels. There's a longer discussion here about set point. Some people, I saw a post the other day by a credible, you know, air quotes, kind of credible. God, that's kind of rude. That's not what I meant. Um, yeah, whatever. I saw a post by somebody that, oh, set points are a myth. We don't need to go into that just yet. I have a, a set point podcast. If you type set point Jordan Lips or where optimal meets practical into Google, I'm sure you'll find it or you can search it in my podcasts. However, people do that. Um, cool. Number four, if you lift and walk, you don't need to do extra cardio or if you lift and walk, there's no added health benefits of extra cardio or if you lift and walk, you're covering most of your bases. Um, and some of that's kind of true, right? Um, listen, I, I used to be louder about this and I would say something to the effect of, hey, if you lift, walk, eat nutritious food, don't have too much body fat, you're checking most of your boxes for health. Um, and, and I still think the word most in there makes that sentence mostly true. If you lift or if you're active, if you eat nutritious food and you don't have too much body fat, like man, you're checking a ton of boxes, a ton. But it is factually, factually untrue, so it is false to say that there's no added benefit of more intense cardio, right? Walking, let's call that zone one. Zone two, three, four, five, whatever zone system, we're just saying something more intense than that. There is benefit to that. There is, there is. Um, it's untrue to say that there isn't. Um, and so at the risk of making people feel like, oh my God, this is another thing I have to do. I just got into a lifting routine. Now Jordan's talking about cardio. He's, oh, I gotta, now I have to find time to get on a treadmill or I have to go running or here's my take. I still think lifting, walking, nutritious diet, don't have too much body fat. You check a ton of boxes. Um, the problem, I'll tangent here. The problem with cardio is that it doesn't make you look better. Like that's the problem with cardio. Everybody is is hearing me and some other people talk about cardio and the reason it's upsetting is because they're already spending all of their time training, right? They, it, most people don't have more time to pull out of their ass to a lot to training. Now all of a sudden, now I have to do cardio too because what they don't wanna do is they don't wanna reduce the resistance training they're doing. They don't wanna hear, hey Jordan, maybe I should do four lifts and two cardio sessions instead of six workouts, six lifts or five lifts. Nobody wants to reduce the amount they're lifting because they know that lifting has more of an impact on what they look like. If your goal was optimal health, then you would be more agnostic towards what you were doing. You'd be pursuing whatever the healthiest routine, you know, covering most of, the most bases you can. And I, I find that just incredibly in my face right now. We're like, I'm struggling. Because I know if I, re I'll tell you this, I've been doing cardio for the last six months, maybe four to six months training for a half marathon. But yeah, I've been training for a half marathon for the last couple of months, but I've been doing more cardio for the last four to six weeks, four to six months. I look exactly the same. I probably look worse. Um, you know, it's so funny that people used to be like, oh, running's how you get in, in uh, how you lose fat and you look skinny. It's like, now we're in the like lifting. I want to look muscular. I want big glutes. I want nice arms. We're in that phase in our like, fitness cycle of life. 
Um, and yeah, running doesn't make you look better. And, or, you know, cardio doesn't make you look better. Yeah, okay, it burns calories, but, you know, we've seen in every research study ever that just telling people to do cardio doesn't actually lead to weight loss because you get hungrier and you eat more, which is what's happening to me right now. I'm, I weigh exactly the same as I did six months ago. And frankly, I either look the same or worse. Um, I probably look the same though, if we're being honest. I look the same. I look indistinguishable is what I'll just say. I, I can't tell the difference, but I certainly don't look better. And so that's the tricky part. Like pe- people hear that and they're like, oh, I have to do an- another thing. And then somebody else might say, well, why don't you just replace, you know, one of your lifts with cardio? It's like, yeah, because cardio doesn't make me look better. That's why, because I want big glutes and nice arms. That's why. Um, and, and so that's always tricky. So here's my advice. Without having people like freak out about needing to add another thing, here's the deal. If you go out for walks during the day, you, you walk the dog, you're in the neighborhood, don't worry about making it more intense. Just fucking go for a walk. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy being outside. Um, you know, make it a very parasympathetic parasympathetic activity where you're, you know, relaxing, you know, you're enjoying being out in nature, you're not stressing over your freaking heart rate or how fast you're going. But, but if you ever step foot on a piece of cardio equipment, if you get on a treadmill, you get on an elliptical, you get on a rower, you get on a bike, you get on a Stairmaster, go a little bit faster. Go a little bit faster than you would if you were just going out for a stroll. There are a lot of people who get on a treadmill and they go for a stroll. You can do that. I, I, th- these rules I'm telling you right now are just pieces of advice that I think can help people check that box. And so, ah, oh, yeah, of course, you can get on the treadmill and just go for a walk at like 3.0. That's fine. That's awesome. It's amazing. It's fantastic. My advice, if you're just looking for, you know, some some way to implement this is, hey, if you're going for, I walk my dogs a couple times a day. I'm not worrying about how fast I'm going. Fuck that. I want it to be relaxing. I want to spend some time with the dogs, right? I want to enjoy the breeze, right? Whatever. I want to be out in nature, you know? But if I get on a piece of cardio equipment, I'm going to go even just a little bit faster right into that zone two spot, like just a little bit faster because there's probably benefit to slightly more intense cardio. And for me, my rule is if I use a piece of cardio equipment, I go a smidge faster than I would at least. If I go out for a stroll, I go out for a stroll. Do I want to talk a little bit about what those benefits are, I guess? I think that's kind of fair. Um, Yeah. So, uh, without going in too deep on this topic, um, people will say things like, well, I don't need to do more intense cardio because my heart rate gets up when I lift. If I do a set of Bulgarian split squats, my heart rate goes up to 160. And so, that by definition is stressing my cardiovascular system. And that's true. And I'm going to keep this simplified in an attempt to show how there's a dichotomy in terms of benefit, there's a difference. When your heart rate gets up when you lift, most of what's happening is you get an adaptation called left ventricle hypertrophy. Um, the reason your heart rate is is going up is because your heart is having to pump out blood really hard to overcome the pressure, to overcome the occlusion locally at the muscle. What you don't get with with lifting weights, even if your heart rate gets up, is you don't get a lot of venous return. You don't get a lot of um, cyclic, this this kind of like short cycle of effort, of lower intensity effort, like you would with running or with rowing or with biking, where there's it's a lot faster of a movement. Um, the exact terminology is escaping me. Uh, yeah, the exact terminology is escaping me. But when you are lifting and your heart rate gets up, the adaptation you get, if, if you're a lifter and you go to a cardiologist, you you know, 
they will acknowledge that you're, oh, they can probably tell that you're a lifter if they see left ventricle hypertrophy. But what you don't get is a lot of this venous return that leads to what's called eccentric hypertrophy, the eccentric hypertrophy of the heart, the preload. Um, and that you can, I would say, only get or best get by doing uh, longer term cardiovascular work. And so it's, you know, that is the gap you're not covering when you just lift. Even if you get your heart rate up while you're lifting, which is great, you're only getting that left ventricle hypertrophy. Um, you're not getting that eccentric hypertrophy of the heart, that ability to preload. And an example of this, just for fun, because we're already here on this tangent, imagine that your heart is a bike pump. And when you push down hard, imagine you're trying to, you're, you, you ever played that game on, um, I'm fucking, now I'm fully tangented here, um, the game on Mario Party, where you have to like press the button and let go, press the button, let go, and your character like pumps up a balloon. And every time you press, it pushes down. Every time you let go, the guy pulls the pump bar up. And your goal is to pump it faster than you, the, the, your opponents. And if you spam that button, what you get is a lot of short kind of bursts of pumping it up. And so imagine you're pumping up a bike, uh, uh, pumping up a soccer ball or something, and you want to pump it up as fast as possible. You want to push down hard, right? And that's your heart kind of pumping blood. Um, great, so that's one part but you also want to pull the pump up and get a large kind of like a, an ability to kind of, that's what's happening, the heart filling up with blood. You also want to fill up that pump a lot. So when you press down, a lot of air is going through. So there's likely a happy medium between how hard you're pressing down and how much you're able to pull that pump up. And so the pressing down hard would be that left ventricle hypertrophy, that pumping of the blood to the muscle overcoming that occlusion, overcoming that pressure. And the eccentric hypertrophy, the, the ability for the heart to, to fill up with blood and eccentrically hypertrophy is you kind of lifting up that pump so it's filling up more with air. Um, I could have probably explained that a little bit more uh, succinctly. Um, but from a cardiovascular adaptation perspective, you get a lot of left ventricle hypertrophy from lifting. You don't get a lot of this eccentric hypertrophy from the heart because it lacks, that the lifting lacks a lot of venous return. Um, and in order to get that, you just have to do some higher, some, some higher intensity, longer duration cardio. I say higher intensity because I mean higher intensity than just walking, let's say. Um, again, walking is amazing. I don't want to get down that tangent. Walking is epic. Um, but there is, I'm imagining a pie chart and there is a slice of that pie that is just not covered by lifting and walking. And if your goal is to be optimally healthy, then yeah, that slice exists. That's all I'm saying. Cool. Number five, you need to change up your training to keep progressing. Um, this one is technically true, actually. I'll tell you where I've changed my mind. So technically, yes, you will adapt to what you do. If you keep doing the exact same program, exact same reps, exact same exercises, eventually you will start to plateau. But in the real world, in the real world, more people need to stick to more of the same shit if they want to see the best results. So if, we, if we're looking at this on a spectrum, on one side, we have making it up every single time you go to the gym. And on the other side, we have sticking to the exact same workout forever. More people need, need to move in that direction. I'm not saying all the way to that extreme, but in that direction, right? I'm all for injecting a little bit of fun, a little bit of variation, a little bit of novelty into training to keep it from getting boring. And I do that in my group programs. My group programs stay about two thirds of the same from cycle to cycle. And about one third 
is me injecting some of that novelty, some fun, something new, something different, different rep scheme, whatever, to keep it interesting. Just from an intellectual stimulation standpoint, you know, lack of getting boring. Um, and so you don't need to change up what you're doing nearly as often as the internet would make you think. And I, I don't wanna pick on, you know, I have people and and programs in my mind and if your program has a new fancy name and a new fancy focus with some new fancy like reasons to do this and you know it's got a fancy name like whatever I, I don't even want to go down that road you're changing focus every program it's like this focus this time we're focusing on this next time we're focusing on this this time we're focusing on this and I don't just mean body part focus because that that can be okay but like you're doing a bunch of supersets then you're doing like short to long supersets, then you're doing giant sets, then you're doing um, short supersets with big muscle groups, and then you're doing only lengthened exercises. It's like, man, you don't need to do that. And at best, you're getting the same results, but frankly, I think that you're probably getting worse results having to kind of learn something new every five weeks. Um, and again, at the end of the day, do, you know continuity as a general thing, continuity. Again, on multiple timescales, in multiple domains, for multiple things within training is generally a good thing. Doing the same thing each week is a good thing. You get to build, you don't have to learn new stuff every week. You get better at the things you did last week, right? You can you can learn how to make that better over time. Hey, I, you know, if I set up this way, you know, whatever I learned last week, I can apply this week. Um, you you get more neurologically efficient, you get better at recruiting more muscle fibers, you get more kind of stimulus per set, the better you get at stuff. And you only get better by repeating the same stuff. Um, and so if you're changing shit every five weeks, again, I'm not saying you can't grow that way. You can. You sure as shit can grow that way. You just you probably won't get as good results as if you were doing more of the same shit most of the more of the time. All right. Cool, guys. Um, I'll let you guys off there. I'll probably do another one of these. I had a couple more that I wanted to do, but I want to keep this to about 30 minutes. If you have any questions about any of this stuff, if you ever hear something and you're like, hey, I thought, you know, or you said this, or shoot me a DM, we can chat about it. And um, I'll see you guys in the next one. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.